today what I want to do is for us to step into a greater understanding of how you and I are called by God to participate in the legacy of Christ that's being established in the earth. And how many of you know it takes work to, to leave a legacy? Uh, it's a real central statement that I want to make today. If you would, pass your books down, take out your note cards. But it's a really important element. You're, you're not going to leave a legacy simply because you want to leave a legacy. You're not going to leave a legacy simply because you hope you leave a legacy. You will never leave a legacy until you first sacrificially live a legacy. You have to live a legacy before you leave that legacy. And that's the whole focus today as we discover where Jesus is discovered in the book of Obadiah. Uh, we are in this journey finding Jesus in every book of Scripture. And in John chapter 5, Jesus said, The Scriptures speak of me. The Scriptures testify of me. So we're going through and discovering in each and every book where uh, Jesus is discovered. Now, how many of you have memorized the Bible verse out of the book of Obadiah before? Anybody here? Uh, nobody in the first service either. I can't raise my hand either, like Obadiah. Is that really in the Bible? How many of you didn't even know that was a book in the Bible? Um, it's the smallest, shortest book in the Old Testament. It's very overlooked, uh, very undervalued in my view, and there's something so uniquely important for us to understand in this. So I want us to press into it. And again, Jesus is revealed in each book. So even the name of this prophet, this is one of the minor prophets and remember this, you know, you start reading your Bible and you find a book of the Bible that you're about to read into, you can go online to our website, destinychristian.com. You'll find all these messages that give some sense of history and context to each book that'll help you be a better student of the Word. That's our goal and our desire. I've, of course, blogged more than I'm going to be able to talk to you about today, and that's all available on there. But it's interesting because the names are very significant in Scripture, and we found that in a lot of different ways. Uh, as we've journeyed through his word together. But Obadiah, it actually has a dual meaning. And I believe this is incredibly significant for us to understand as Christ is revealed in this very important book. Obadiah literally means worshiper of Yahweh. And Obadiah also literally means servant of Jehovah. And so it's a dual meaning. And this idea of worship and serve is brought together in the revelation that Obadiah presents. And uh, we're going to see kind of how that breaks down, but, but I, I just want you to, to see how important it is that we not pull apart serve from worship or that we don't pull apart worship from serve. And Jesus himself tied these two together. Jesus showed us that to serve and to worship actually go very hand in hand. In Matthew 4, when Jesus was tempted, he said in verse 10, you will worship, would you say worship? You will worship the Lord your God and only him will you serve. Would you please say serve? And so Jesus is bringing worship and serve together. This is what I've noticed about our generation. I'm, I'm right now, I've just read a book, um, Generational IQ, and it's talking about the traditionalists or the pioneers, and then it you know, talks about the boomers and Gen X and millennials and, and kind of the distinctions and uniqueness of each of those generations and what they, what they think, why. It's really been uh, intriguing as I've evaluated that and I've seen that. But what I have observed is we now live in a season of time that people love to worship. 
They really enjoy worship. There's a, a huge movement of worship that started a few decades ago, and it's just like this apex of all of it has culminated, and worship is, worship is a really trendy, common, in thing for almost every Christian now. But serving, not so much. Think about what I'm saying. Like, we all love to worship. The songs go and the music and, and, you know, today, you know, different eras represented trying to hit and draw everybody into that place. And, and I mean, we all love that element. But Jesus put worship and serve together. Obadiah speaks of how worship and serve come together. You can't have true worship if you don't truly understand what it is to sacrificially serve the purposes of God. Uh, Anybody here been married more than 25 years? Just raise your hand. You've been married more than 25 years. Hey, we just want to celebrate you, say congratulations for more than a quarter of a century. 25 plus years If you're sitting next to your spouse and you've been married more than 25 years, I want you to plant one on them. Go ahead. Just a great big kiss. Right there. Yes, that was a good one. You didn't have to ask him twice. Darren just went for it. So here's Darren and Tammy Lowe. I'll just pick on them a little bit. And um, congratulations, Father's Day to grandfathers and, uh, you know, the legacy that we're talking about today. But, But Darren and Tammy have been married for how many years? 25 plus. So 30 Three decades. That's great. Now, when Darren leans over to kiss Tammy, there is something more than just four lips hitting, right? Like the level of sacrifice in 30 years to say I love you is behind those lips. In other words, that kiss means more when there's been a certain degree of sacrificial lifestyle, sacrificial loving. It's hard to really say you love someone if you've never really paid a price and sacrificed to express that love to them. And the kiss means more when there's a sacrificial lifestyle beneath it. Are we all together on this? The same thing with our worship. It's one thing to come in, because I mean, you know, kissing's fun. Go ahead, if, you, if you're not married to the person next to you and you just think they're cute, go ahead, give them a kiss. I'm just kidding. Kissing's fun. You know, this expression of relationship, it's fun. Like you meet someone and then it's, you're nervous about, like I, I remember I went to church camp, okay? I went to church camp of all places and I met this girl, her name's Belinda. Belinda, if you're online, I hope you've learned how to kiss better than this now. God bless you. I was standing there and Belinda decides it's time for us to kiss. And like, she doesn't want to just kiss. Like she wants to kiss. But like, she didn't know what she was doing and I didn't know what I was doing because in this particular instance, I'm just standing there and I'm realizing she's going in for the kill. And so I freeze, and she puts her whole mouth wide open over mine and just sits there with her mouth over mine. And I'm just sitting there with lips draped all around, and I don't know what to do. She obviously didn't know what to do, and like it was over that fast. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you. And I, you know, was gone, right? I was gone. So Belinda, God bless you if you're online. I hope that you've met somebody who's taught you, don't do that ever again. 
Uh, so, you know, kissing can be fun, right? It's just expression. Like, you're nervous, you meet someone, like, oh, first kiss. You remember your first kiss? I remember my first kiss with Tracy. Oh, man, it was really something. So anyway, so you start thinking about that first kiss, and that, you know, that's, that's kind of a fun element of a relationship. It means nothing. If there's not something deeper than the physical kiss, it means nothing. And over the course of time, what we learn is the physical exchange, all levels of physical exchange of a relationship are meaningless if there's not some form of sacrificial substance beneath that kiss and beneath that exchange, beneath what's taking place in your relationship and in your life. And this is exactly the way it is with worship. Our singing might be exactly on key, but it means nothing if we don't have a sense of serve deep beneath our worship. The Bible actually says your attitude is maybe more important than any of us realize. It says that your attitude is aligned to the level of worship. And if you actually have ought with somebody, if you're offended with somebody, if you're not being willing to be forgiving to somebody, the Bible says, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Don't even offer it. Go get that right because that's an important part of your worship. How many of you think worship is a lot more deeper and more meaningful than perhaps any of us understand? In light of that, we have to figure out how to love, how to serve, and how to give. We have to figure this out. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. Like Jesus loved. Would you agree? Jesus served. Would you agree? Jesus gave. Definitely. We see those characteristics. So our lives then should bring reflection of that from him. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting. Like when you invite someone over, have you ever invited someone over? And they're like the honored guest. Somebody you don't know that well. And when they come, you get out your best plates. Anybody do this? Like, usually you just use paper, but you get out foam plates, right, for the real good. And so they come, and you've got your foam plates out, and like, they, really, you do better than that. But, you know, you get your plates out, and you have a meal, and they're the honored guests. And, you know, you don't know them all that well, so they're really honored. And then what do you say when they start trying to pick up their own plates to clean up their own mess? No, 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 no. Don't worry about that. We'll take care of that later. You're our honored guest. And so they're there, and you spend time with them, and then they leave, and like you clean and serve and get it all taken care of. But how many of you in, the, how many in this room have a friend? They come to your house. They don't even knock on your door. They walk into your house. They don't even ask. They go to your refrigerator, and they get something to eat. Anybody have a friend like that? Anybody, you are a friend like that. I have a little bit of advice for you. And so, so you know, that's like family, Right? That friend is like family. Now, here's the difference between the honored guest who's fully celebrated and served and the true family guest who's become family. There's a unique distinction because that person that's like family, they have such entrance, they wouldn't think of leaving their mess for you to clean up. In fact, if they did, you would let them have it because they're family. Anybody here, like whenever you're cleaning up in the kitchen and you get the towel and you do the pop thing, anybody do that? You've been slapped for doing that before? Okay, my, my daughters actually, they took the little squeezy, you know, the thing you squeeze and squirt, and they wrapped a rubber band around it because I'm always tormenting them when we're cleaning up because it's fun. I like to just have fun when we're in there. And so they put the rubber band around it and they got me distracted and, and I turned the water on to run down that way and it shifts me. And, and so I wanted to ground them for six months because they got me that day. Uh, but, you know, we have fun because that's what families do. When we, when we work and serve together, that's what families do. Here's my point. 
If you're showing up to church expecting to be the honored guest and you're never helping set up anything that's going on, I assure you church will not feel like family to you. But if you find a place to serve and you actually help expand the work of God in the earth, then you start to realize, you know what? This is family. I've had people come to me and say, I, you know, I don't know. Church is just so friendly, but just didn't feel like family. And I always ask the same thing. Where did you serve? And consistently, the answer is the same when they're feeling it's not like family. Well, I didn't really get involved. Listen, guys, God wants to establish a legacy, and leaving the legacy of Christ as the expanded work in the earth is the direct result of you and I getting involved, making a difference, and leaving this world a better place. Our focus for 2016 is that you and I are enriched by God. Is anybody blessed by God in this place? Enriched by God. We are blessed. So when we are enriched by God and we become generous like Jesus then we leave the world a better place. So let me encourage you, make sure as an expression of legacy, which we're going to see how important that is in Obadiah, but as an expression of legacy, make sure that you're involved, you're serving, you're partnering, you're giving. Devote yourself to being generous in every way that the kingdom of God will continue to expand. Did I mention more than 40 people are being baptized this next uh, Sunday? Praise God, the work of God is expanding in the earth. We are a part of that. So here's what we see as we look uh, look into all of this and we begin to recognize the book of Obadiah is about three key things. And here, first blanks, if you'll write it in, pride, indifference, and legacy. Those are the insights revealed in the book of Obadiah. And I'm going to have to give you a little bit of a history lesson Uh, to get this today. And this is an important thing that we understand. You don't just come to church to be entertained and dazzled. We want to explore and grow deeper. And I want to give you more to grow deeper into as you study that on your own. So so bear with me. We're going to walk this out. If you don't read all of the Bible, then you really aren't truly reading any portion of the Bible with a great understanding. And so there's some things here that, that When you hear it, you might not understand what's going on, but you will clearly get this if you'll hang with me. All right, put on your seatbelt, helmets, you ready to go, we're going to do this. Obadiah 1, verses 1 to 4, this is the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. Would everybody please say Edom? Okay, you need to know who they are. We're going to discover that. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. God's rallying battle against Edom. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, From there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Wow. Like, don't tick God off. I mean, that's a pretty important thing, right? I mean, God is serving notice on Edom. And so we need to understand who Edom is and what's going on, why all of this is such a big issue. Uh, This is like, here's the thing. Edom stood idly by and watched as the Babylonian destruction happened to Jerusalem. And God then assigns blame to them for being indifferent. There's there's that word. 
How many of you know God desires for God's kingdom to expand everywhere you and I go? When there is an attack on God's kingdom on any level, we should be engaged and involved. Your response to anything going on in the news should be immediately prayer, grace, God, strength, intervene. Lord, we're released. I mean, do you believe in the power of prayer? When you hear an ambulance siren or something going on, some emergency taking place, immediately open your mouth and release something from God's kingdom in the earth. We need to understand we are weapons in the hand of God. Edom missed this, and in fact, there's a reason, and we'll, we'll see that. But let me just point out, it's very important that you understand, this like wasn't just this startup battle. This goes way back. Anybody ever heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? Okay, that's, what, that's what's going on here. And you can read about this in Genesis 25. If you'd like to go, there's about 11 chapters there. And it's these two guys, two twins uh, that were born in the Bible, Esau and Jacob. And that's the order in which they were born, but that's not the order in which the birthright was distributed. And the reason is because though Esau was born first, Esau neglected and even despised his birthright. He, in other words, he was not interested in spiritual things. How many of you are interested in spiritual things? Can I just see, like, interested? Because, like, some people, there's been this push-up challenge, man. Chris Goodson, this guy, he, he, he got online and he said, you know, issue this challenge. And, and so I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I started doing the push-up challenge. And then, like, I couldn't do it all in one set anymore. So I stopped posting my videos. And, the, like... <laughs> He's still like, all right, today I'm going to do 1,860 push-ups. And he's like, la, 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 la. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, I feel like a woman looking at this man. You know, how can I do this? Sorry, ladies, no offense. But, but so I'm looking, at this, I'm looking at this thing of like, yeah, you know, he just, he works out. And just take off your shirt and flex, Chris. No, I'm just cute. So because you work your muscles, you have greater endurance. How many of you could do 50 push-ups right now if I asked you to do that? Raise your hand. Okay. That's not the majority. I'm going to say that. America. Hashtag America. And so, uh, you know, if you work out your muscles, then you actually have this stamina and this ability. Listen, your spirit man is the same way. And the more interested you get in spiritual things, the more you... Are you hearing me? Don't, don't turn off your ears. <laughs> The more interested you get in spiritual things, the more you actually read your Bible. The more you get interested in spiritual things, the more you get into a private place of prayer seeking God. The more interested you get in spiritual things, the more you fast and pray. That sounds foreign to some people. But what you have to understand, your spirit man is much like a muscle, and you've got to work your spirit man out so that he's got some endurance. Because if, if you're having to be motivated to do what's right by preaching, that's the lowest form of motivation. Somebody's got to have something substantial born down deep inside of them that says, I am going to plow through and make it to the next level. And like, if you're just not that interested in spiritual things, it's not that you're against what's going on. It's just that you don't really seem to get out of it. What a lot of people do. And you kind of say things like, eh, they're just radical. You start minimizing their expression because your expression maybe is lacking. This is exactly what was going on with Esau. 
Jacob, uh, Jacob was his younger brother. Esau didn't have a lot of interest in spiritual things. Jacob obviously did. And so the Bible says when these twins were born, they came out of the womb, literally wrestling, grappling in that moment in time. And the tension continued and grew until Jacob deceived Esau, took his birthright. Whole crazy story. How many of you know who Jacob is? Okay, basic Bible lesson. The 12 tribes of Israel came from Jacob. Okay, Jacob was renamed by God Israel, and Israel had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes, and through the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus was born. How many of you know Jacob scored a big deal when he got the birthright and was assigned the blessing of God to come through his life? Esau was scorned. Esau was very disconnected from any of that, and through Esau came the Edomites. Now we understand the tension that Obadiah is talking about. Here's the thing. God was saying, Edom, you're watching as Jerusalem is falling under attack, and because of your Hatfield and McCoy attitude, you're not even giving any assistance or help. Let me just say, pay attention. You need to give some love to Israel. You better just recognize this is all throughout Scripture, and we certainly see it here. Because you've neglected Israel, problems have come your way. Obadiah 1 verse 10, it goes on, because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You take responsibility in your posture and your place of indifference. Listen, Obadiah's message to those who are like Esau. Maybe in this room right now, some people are, isn't God cool? Like, let's just talk about conviction for a minute because I want to just give you an opportunity right now. Like, conviction, God's so awesome. How many of you have ever, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about when I say the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? You know what that is? Like, oh, just something inside, just, oh, just, you know, God's dealing with you. And so, in the Spirit, you get convicted about the sin or the, the crime, the problem, whatever it is, before you do it. That's just the nature of the Spirit. But listen, in the natural, you don't get convicted until after you've done the crime, you've been caught, and then you go to jail. I mean, is this awesome or what? God is so awesome, he allows the conviction to happen before the crime, and in the world system, the conviction comes after the crime when you're already in big trouble. How many know the Holy Spirit's trying to help you out before you do the, the problem, before you get yourself in the mess? That's just the kind of God. He's a great father. He's a good, good father. Somebody ought to write a song. He's a good, good father. And so understand that. That's just the heart of God. So this was the cry. This is the declaration of Obadiah. Those that are like Esau in a place of indifference today in this room, you know God's dealing with you. You're not that interested in spiritual things. Then you need the Lord to really help wake you up. That's the message. Write it in your blank. Wake up before it's too late. Your pride has made you blind, but God can still bring hope. Aren't you glad God can still bring hope into every situation? Praise God, he can wake us up. Like, we just want to draw that in. How many of you will agree with me? You, let's just pray and believe right now. How many of you say, I want to increase my appetite for spiritual things? Can I just say, Father, I pray right now just by the response of our hands 
that you would take us to another place of being hungry for the things of God. Help us to understand how important that is, that like Esau, Lord, we would not find ourselves in that place where we have been bypassed or missing the promise or the blessing of God. I thank you that you're waking us up to those things today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So that's the message of Obadiah to those like Esau who become indifferent. This is a great message to those like Jacob, who maybe you're pursuing God and you know you've made mistakes. Anybody here made mistakes? Just raise your hand if you made mistakes. Point at somebody who's made mistakes. Just go ahead. Point out their faults. That's all of us. All of us. And here's the message to those like Jacob. We made mistakes. We're pursuing God. Look up and rejoice. Our salvation is guaranteed. It's an incredible message for us to understand. If you will align yourself to the purposes of God, he guarantees to rescue you in your situation. So in indifference, the message is wake up. And in a place of pursuit, the message is, it's not just wake up. We've woke up to that. And now the next message is look up. Look up to the heavens and declare God is faithful. I want you to know God's not taken by surprise in anybody's situation in this room. Jacob and Esau's lives took very different paths, and because of that, they left very different legacies. And did you hear the, the cry in this book? Esau's legacy had notice from God served on it and would be extinguished in the earth. Now, how many of you here hope to leave a legacy? Can I just see? You like want to leave a legacy. We want to leave a legacy. We want somebody to point to us and say, I'm a better person because of them. That is what this is all about. And what we see, Obadiah goes on, verse 18, it says, Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame, which is speaking of the lineage of the Messiah. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame and Esau will be stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. No survivors from Esau. So here we're looking at this. I mean, you, you do understand bad decisions in life are very costly. I mean, that, can I get a witness? Bad decisions in life are very costly. Like, they cost way more than we realize they cost. And what we want to do is try and lessen the bad decisions, enlarge our pursuit of God, expand all that God desires to accomplish in every one of our lives. And I want to just encourage you today. I want to say three words, and I want you to really let them echo in your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. It means more than you realize. Listen, decisions you make and decisions you do not make will echo in the halls of eternity for hundreds of years, impacting thousands of people, guard your heart. I'm just going to tell you, I need this word today. I want to live a life that I can say, I ran the race, I finished the race, I've given everything I knew to give to the Lord. When I made mistakes, I quickly repented so I could get back up and fulfill everything about my assignment. Because the decisions we make 
and the decisions we don't make. Will, can, can I, are, are you understanding the importance of this? Those decisions literally impact destiny. This is not just you. Don't be a fool and think the decisions you make and don't make only impact you. They impact the people all around you, and that impacts the people that will come from them, and that impacts the people that will come from them, and that impacts the people that will come from them. We have a great obligation to all humanity for us to serve the Lord with all of our hearts. I'm going to give you an illustration that breaks this down in such a unique way. A man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. You ever heard of him? Incredible revivalist. He came to know Christ and, and basically decided, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to follow the ways of Christ. How many of you think your life will be better if you'll follow the ways of Jesus? Like, I was talking with an atheist one time. He was like, man, I don't believe any of that. And his, his life was like a wreck. He was involved in all kinds of stuff that was so damaging, his family, all this. And I said, listen, whether you believe it or not, if you'll apply biblical principles, you won't cheat on your wife. Like, I mean, I started naming all these things that the Bible laid out. I said, ultimately, you'll have a much better life. And when you die, if I was right, uh, you know, I'm going to be okay. But if you're right, you die, you just had a better life, and that's it. You just, you know, lay in the grave with having had a better life. I mean, bottom line, this is really helpful if you'll think about it. Jonathan Edwards came to know Christ, completely transformed everything about his life. He began to serve the Lord. He was a married man, had children. He was very known as loving to his wife and kids. He was a revivalist, mighty man of God. They did a, a study on his descendants. How his faith in God impacted his direct family, how that impacted the next generation, the next generation, and so on. And they found 1,394 descendants, and I am the great-great-grandson of Jonathan Edwards. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. They found 1,000, I'll see if you're listening. They found 1,394 descendants of Jonathan Edwards. This is how it breaks down. 13 college presidents, 65 college professors. How many of you know this is a pretty good legacy? 30 judges, 100 lawyers. We'll forgive him for that. 60 physicians. Sorry, I had to throw it in there. Uh, 60 physicians, 100 pastors. My wife had jab back there. 65 army and navy officers. I mean, do you see this breakdown in his, in his legacy? 60 prominent authors, three United States senators, eight public servants of various offices, and a vice president of the United States of America. How many of you would say Jonathan Edwards did okay? Like serving Jesus really does something for you. Not only you, but the legacy that you leave behind. And in Jonathan Edwards' day, there was another man that they evaluated his legacy. He lived at roughly the same time. His name was Max Jukes. And they found more than a thousand of his descendants. Now let me tell you about Max before I show you the comparison of their tree. Max Jukes was known as a self-absorbed alcoholic. He sometimes beat his wife. He neglected and abused his children in various ways. And he would go off in drunken binges and be gone for two weeks at a time. No one would know where he was. And when he came home, he would come back and he was still self-absorbed and very mean-spirited, not at all like Jesus. How many of you think his legacy, if we could evaluate his legacy and compare it to Jonathan Edwards, we'd probably have two very different legacies, right? How about let's just take a look at it? Because here's a breakdown in a family tree. There's Jonathan Edwards on the left. I named all that. But here's Max Jukes. 310 of his descendants died on the streets as beggars. What kind of a legacy do you want to leave? 
150 of his descendants were criminals. Seven were murderers. More than 100 of them were alcoholics and drunks. There were 190 prostitutes in Max Juke's legacy. How many of you think the decisions that you make today echo in the halls of eternity and will impact hundreds of years, thousands of people, and we probably need to wake up if we're in a state of indifference today. I promise you, gathering like this as the church is way more than a nice religious thing to do. Coming together and talking about these types of things congregationally, and then gathering in our community groups and discussing them face-to-face, heart-to-heart, I mean, this is something we need to talk about. I need to set some goals for myself so that I'm establishing a legacy that will honor the Lord Jesus Christ and leave the world a better place. That breakdown was done by an economic evaluation and how much Max Jukes actually cost uh, the government structures because of the legacy of his life. And I just want you to know, it is very, very costly to be selfish very, very costly to be self-absorbed. And it is very life-giving to recover from shambles in your life and let God put the pieces back together of your broken life so that you become an unbroken person having been restored by God. You might not have an incredible history of Christians. Maybe you're kind of in a downline of Max Jukes yourself, and you're looking at that, and you're saying, how am I supposed to recover this? Listen, you can start. You can be the first generation Jonathan Edwards declaration to your kids and your grandkids and the kids after them. You can be the person that establishes that type of legacy in the generations to come. That's what I want. How about you? So I want to challenge you to increase your appetite for the things of God. So like, this is your action point. You know, I, I preach at you, and I hope you get it, and there are different things. I think, oh, this is really important. Oh, that's important. Like, all of it's really important. God's having a conversation with all of us, and we're going to walk out here with little bits and pieces here and there. But what I want to do is ask not just we show up and sing songs and have sermons, but we walk out of here with actionables. I want you to walk out of here with something to apply. So we've been talking about this turn the page challenge. And like you get your old-fashioned Bible, start in the book of Genesis, put the date at the top of the page, turn the page. I hope you're doing that. If not, please get started. Today I wrote the date and put up there, Happy Father's Day, Father. So one day my children, my grandchildren and the legacy are going to pick up my Bibles and they're going to look and they're going to see where the kids took their first steps and, you know, all those types of things. What a beautiful expression. I'm just trying to get you on board with that. So I want to ask you this week, turn the page and take someone with you. That's your action point. Like invite somebody, somebody you work with, somebody you know, somebody you're friends with online. Invite them and explain, hey, I'm taking the turn the page challenge. We've got a cool video you can show them that explains it online. At our website, you can take a look at that. But just invite somebody to go with you on that journey. Isn't it incredible to think about serving Jesus? You know, I'm not really prepared this, but I posted this last week and I've been thinking about it. And so let me just challenge you. What if a ceremony awaits us as Christians in heaven 
where Jesus welcomes us and only those in attendance are disciples we make. What would that look like for you? Because if you're indifferent, you're not really engaged, seeking God, pursuing Him, helping others get there, then maybe you need to evaluate that now. I know I do. Man, I just, I want to take every resource God's put in my life and I want to see the kingdom expand. How about you? I want to see people grow to understand the loving, serving, giving nature of God, whatever it takes. Would you just stand?